Movies and Booze on Moncrief. Brought to you by Lidl's award-winning wine range. Lidl. More for you. Enjoy alcohol sensibly. Visit drinkaware.ie. We are joined uh, once again by Fanula Jones, uh, Esther McCarthy and uh, Dean McGuinness, though uh, there's a little technical whoopsie with Esther, but we will be speaking with her uh, very shortly. Uh, But Dean, I'll start with you because essentially you are so lazy, you didn't even bother choosing any beers this week. I know, I'm I'm just passing on the work to other people and letting them choose them. And what's more, the the poor people that I chose didn't even get to taste the beers uh, before choosing them. (laughs) Well, a particular particular element of cruelty is asking a pregnant woman to choose a beer for this week's show. (laughs) (laughs) Claire, I know, has exquisite taste. And I knew that even during pregnancy that she would be anticipating what she could drink in a few months' time. Uh, So anyway, what was the thinking behind your crazy plan? Right, what we've got is we're talking a bit about craft beer community today, and there is an event coming up in a few weeks' time, Monday 17th of May through to Sunday the 23rd of May, called Indie Beer Week. It's a celebration of um, independent Irish craft breweries. There are 20 Irish craft breweries involved. I'm going to call them out very, very quickly. Wicklow Brewing Company, Port House Brewing Company, Metal Man, Kinnegar, Dead Centre Brewing, Brew Brewery, Blacks of Kinsale, West Kerry Brewery, Trouble Brewing, Luckill Brewery, and Sligo Hope Beer, Cotton Ball Brewing, Black Donkey, 12 Acres Brewing, Real okay. Deal Brewery, St. Mel's Brewery, Lineman, Dungar, uh-huh. Canvas, and Belly Club uh-huh. You'd have been quicker so. just t- saying what breweries weren't involved rather than what were involved. <laughs> it, would, it would have, yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're tasting two beers um, from two of these breweries, um, but I had an experience in Belgium once where I was in Brussels, went to a beer museum, and they gave me a sample of beer afterwards, and I said, oh, where's the, the what brewery is the beer from? And they said, oh, we're not telling you. Uh, okay. They said, it's a Belgian beer and things. So what, what we'll do is we'll taste the beers. After I've tasted them, I will tell uh, what the beer is called and what brewery it's from, right. um, but it's from one of the 20 breweries. Uh, and, 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 well, like, the, there's three beers I'm looking at that are in here with the studio with, uh, with me, and one looks like, a, you know, it's a, it's a pretty conventional beer the other two look a bit gimmicky or or is that am i being unfair we've got a couple of cans and um they've done some interesting things so we've got uh uh uh, oatmeal ipa brewed with red potato Mm. and we've got uh what's called a new england ipa which is a, a slightly less um bitter ipa that's very juicy and it is brewed with organic oats uh, there's a couple of other beers that were passed on to me as well we'll probably only get through two today i, I guess on the show uh, there is a very cool one that has been brewed and um it has been boiled for 24 hours uh, to concentrate okay. the wort and then ferment it to 12%. We're not tasting that one today, but it's one of the ones that was sent to me. Right, okay. And it's just an example of the, the types of beers they're doing. I, I, and, but you can, it's boiled for 24 hours, but that doesn't reduce the alcohol in it. It, no, it, it works uh, in the opposite way because the boiling happens before um, the fermentation. So you start out with a liquid with a certain amount of sugar, and then as they boil off the water, you end up with a concentrated, a more concentrated sugar liquid. So then when that sugar is turned into alcohol during the fermentation, you end up with 12% ABV. Right, okay. That's very interesting. Uh, and uh, a, a great week for you, Esther, given that, you know, you, you're going to be talking about uh, arguably the best film of the year and uh, a film that I, I saw in the review in The Guardian today uh, said, Wild Mountain Time makes The Quiet Man look like a documentary about crack dealers. Uh, so, uh, 
<laughs> top of the morning, Phil. Top of the morning, Faith and Bigara. <laughs> did the trailer, because obviously, the, you know, probably everybody in Ireland saw the trailer, did the trailer really give a sense of what this movie is going to be like? To be fair, it doesn't. Um, the movie is far more batshit than the trailer could ever have presented <laughs> it to us. <laughs> um, it is... Astonishing. I was looking through, I, I, I wrote live notes, sometimes I write live notes if I'm doing something, watching a film, and I was looking through those notes the other day, and it's just a list of questions. It's like, what period is this supposed to be? Mm. Uh, why are they saying those words? Is it meant to be a comedy? Yes. <laughs> so that's kind of like so <laughs> many questions, but fascinating in the sense that like there's really good people on this film, like it's a really good cast. Um, Emily Blunt and, and Jamie Dornan should be oozing the chemistry. Mm. Um, so to be fair, they've had to had, have most of the jibs far as does uh, Christopher Walken's um, vowel mangling accent um, throughout. But <laughs> like I'm laying this squarely at the feet of John Patrick Shanley because there are too many Irish crew and background people on this film that mm. I know are really talented people. Um, so I think this is the filmmaker maybe just having a bit too much control, just doing a bit too much of uh, what the E.L. James did with Fifty Shades of Grey, the third film, and, you know, having a bit too much influence and maybe not having people go, you know, maybe doing hackneyed um, Irish accents and putting a shawl and hobnail boots on Emily Blunt's character in a movie that's supposed to be contemporary mightn't be a good idea. And know? making her smoke a pipe uh, as and well, apparently. Smoke a pipe. Like, like, yeah. like, like Peg. But th- this was, because apparently Shanley had written, this was a stage play before this, which was equally as, as horrific. Um, apparently th- it was, yes. Yeah. Uh, so how this got to be a film? Uh, is it's, just- a, it's a really interesting disconnect between how we see ourselves and how other people, well, how John Patrick Shanley sees us, let's say. Um, so I think that's that's really it's fascinating. But the, John God, Patrick Shanley is Irish American. He has like relations who live in Ireland, uh, uh, who you know maybe should have slapped him upside the head. Uh, um, occasionally. And famously said in a, an interview with Variety that if um, he if he got people to speak like his relatives spoke, that nobody would understand them. So. I think the people all over the world who adored normal people would probably be baffled by that comment as well, you mm. know. But it's not just the stage Irishness, uh, but we'll talk a lot about that. But yeah, it's, okay. um, there's a bit of it's acid really in this bad, film. Oh, it's a really badly made film as well in, oh. on so many other different levels. All yeah. right. Okay. And Nomadland? Nomadland is your... your um, your drink that you take, your palate cleanser after yes. um, Wild Mountain Time, I think. It's wonderful. It's fantastic. Um, it's a filmmaker, Zoe, uh, Chloe Zhao. I've had my eye on her for a while, thanks to a couple of uh, Irish actors I know who'd be very good on the radar now with up-and-coming talent and, and taught me a few years ago to watch a little American indie called The Rider. Um, fabulous film. Dealing with mostly, if not all, uh, untrained actors. It's a lovely film. Frances McDormand saw it as well and said, who is this woman? I want to make a film with her. I'll exec produce it. And they got talking. And, and so we have this wonderful, beautiful kind of modern day Western, I suppose. Is mm. how I'd describe and it. Frances McDormand is now like total legend status at this point. Oh, totally. And she's it's a lovely, quiet performance from her as well. I'm so glad she won the Oscar for it because I was reading the forecasts last weekend and 
the main argument was she was too wonderful in her other films and won two Oscars <laughs> before, so we shouldn't give her this one. And yeah. I was like, no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is true. And I, because I, I think when she won before, she did, when part of her speech, she was talking about having, uh, um, I forget how she described it, but a kind of a, a contract to kind of have as much diversity in the staff making films. Uh, which apparently she made sure this happened on Nomadland as well. So that was kind of uh, nice to see. She took her own. Yeah, she's uh, just took great. her own advice. She is great. Uh, and Fanula, uh, there was going to be. There was. Uh, I would have been interested to see this. It was going to be a Dion uh, a Dion Warwick um, a biopic, but that, apparently that's that's gone belly up now. Yeah, it seems to be on the rocks because of who was involved. I'm not sure if you saw the expose in The Hollywood Reporter. I think it was either this week or last week uh, about a producer called Scott Rudin. He'd be known for working in Hollywood on Broadway. Um, he had taken an interest in the biopic when Warwick was, Warwick was mad tweeting about it and said that she'd originally pitched this series to Netflix. Um, and there were a couple of people interested in the project. I think Rudin saw these tweets, contacted her, and I think there were talks about them maybe doing something in the same vein as some of his past work. He's worked on the likes of the social network and stuff. Um, but they seem to be on hold now following some really serious allegations um, against Rudin. Uh, there seems to be this pattern of abusive behaviour from him towards his staffers. Like that piece in The Hollywood Reporter is well worth reading, um, but definitely not for the faint of heart. Like there's claims about him like throwing glass bowls and like b- a baked potato at staffers. Um, and a big potato would take your eye out. Uh, that, that, that. Exactly, yeah, as opposed to maybe mashed, I don't know. But yeah, um, serious reports of just this kind of constant behaviour on set um, with people. There was two other employees who reportedly had to go to hospital as a result of his outbursts. Um, there's to- like uh, allegations of him slamming an Apple computer on one of his staffers' heads. Ah, hands. Jesus. It's, yeah, like it's, I think this is kind of the second coming in terms of like one of these big kind of in the same way in the same vein as Weinstein I suppose one of these kind of big untouchable names in Hollywood is seemingly being brought down because of this which is great to see but as I said it means this Warwick biopic might be on ice for a few years Uh, which is a shame because I I need to see that story on the big screen and Uh, if people don't follow her on social media they need to because she is hilarious Uh, and the the allegations against Garud are are any of them like of sexual uh, of nature or is he just a total head case it seems to be more kind of like violence and just kind of general outbursts and anger management issues. Like it's it's really not good, but like the piece is very extensive and just seems like he's been getting away with this kind of carry on for years. Yeah. Okay. Right. Oh well, that's a shame for Dan Warwick. Really, I would have I would have liked to have seen that too. Uh, anyway, uh, Esther, uh, which will we have first? Will we have the uh, uh, the palate cleanser first, or the uh, the that's not the thing that's going to leave a dirty taste in your mouth? You know what, Sean? I'm going to let you pick this week. Oh, let's go for Wild Mountain Time. Coming up after this. <laughs> On your head, be it. <laughs> <laughs> Are you all right? I'm fine. What are you doing out there? Fishing. That was fishing? Yeah. Without a rod? Who were you talking to? I wasn't talking. You looked to be talking, then swatting, then you jumped in. I did not. It's a Kelly's to jump in. I'm a Riley. You're a Riley. What are you doing down by the river? What I've been doing after this one. Oh, you're not still from the night before. I am. Well, God in heaven, you look the worst for it. Well, thanks much. You don't look perfect yourself. There you go. He's fishing without a rod. Holy mother of God. Right. Okay. We, we, Esther, 
We know the terrible accents. We know the paddy whackery. Uh, it, what's the essential story here that he's trying to tell? I mean, it's supposed to be a love story, but like he even breaks the basic kind of tropes of romantic drama by uh, keeping the characters apart for long stretches of the film. Um, Emily Blunt and Jamie Dornan, who play um, Rosemary and Anthony. So like there's no chance to get on board with them as a potential couple or to invest with them on them as a potential couple. It's like a series this is like a series of bad Paddy Wackery sketches, Sean, that would call... I think they'd make the makers of Far and Away blush, to be honest. And it makes um, it makes Leap Year look like a, a masterpiece. And I mean, this, the words that have to come out of people's mouths, like actors who I, I would rate and respect. Um, like, she has to say at one stage, Emily Blunt, I'll freeze my eggs. If he's slow, I will wait. I believe he will come to me. And just like <laughs> mad stuff. Her horse is named Blister because that's what we all name our horses. And she has a dog called Flossie. Um, she's a feisty character. She runs a, a farm um, in, uh, it's, it's in the Midlands. It's, um, <laughs> this is based on the stage play, you know, the memorably named stage play Outside Mullingar. Mm. This is, is what it's adapted from. Um, but the West That could Ireland, be anywhere. Everywhere is outside Mullingar, really. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We look at it that way. Um, but uh, she, so she's Rosemary, the feisty farmer, and she is mad about Anthony. Has been holding a candle for him for years, um, waiting for him to think of her in a romantic sense. Um, they've adjoining farms, so there's usual kind of um, sub the field stuff going on with mm. you know fighting over fences and stuff like that. Um, but Christopher Walken is um, Anthony's father, um, and. You know, and um, Anthony's mother died, actually, in one stage, he says, when my mother died, I couldn't see colours anymore, which made, made me really concerned he should probably go to an optician, yeah. to be honest. But anyway, he is kind of used to this inaction and they're stuck in this trap. Um, but when the father, who's played by Walken, who in a film of scenes has the craziest scene in the film, you'll know it when you see it, is all I'll say. Uh, but he decides he's going to sell the family farm to his American nephew, the Yank, played by John Hamm, mm. uh, because of his son's single status. So this, this kind of jolts Anthony into making a plan and gives Rosemary a bit of hope that finally they'll not only get together as a couple, but finally be able to join the farms. So that's what you're talking about. And then the things they actually get people to do, Big Sean, in this, like at one stage, Anthony is practicing his proposal on a, on a donkey. Um, and another stage, we're told, where Jamie Dornan has to say the words that a cow doesn't recognise him because he's wearing a different raincoat. Um, and so, you know, uh, Emily's blunt rosemary has to say, I'm all a flutter when John Ham starts flirting with her. Um, and then she, like, she she freeze, the freezer eggs thing happens. But another high point of the film was where she kind of d- does some spontaneous ballet dancing while wearing her shawl and boots. Which had me going, where, when is this set? Because the post fan is very um, old looking. What period is, is it like? It feels like the 50s or even at that it's a bit dialed up for the 50s. And then there's a scene, right, where they go to America. And oh. the, twin, the Twin Towers are gone. Right. And I'm okay. going, are you telling me this is contemporary? Like, I just, I couldn't believe it. Uh, that was a, a moment for me. And then, you know, it's a struggle really to understand what the cast the cast is doing here and I think they'll all survive it of course but for me most of this mess falls on John Patrick Shanley who again 
head-scratchingly wrote um, both Doubt and Moonstruck, like two really good screenplays. Mm. So I don't know. Did we do something to him? Like, I don't know. Um, well, I, has I, he I'm done sorry. anything good lately, Esther? That's the point. Because, you know, he might have just lost it. Yeah, possibly, possibly. But like, to be honest with you, I am not particularly nationalistic at all. And I was a bit offended now by the stage Irishness. It, it got to a level like we're stupid. We like fighting. You know, there were a lot of tropes in there. But even even those aside, like as a romantic drama, the film makes little or no sense. Um, despite the best efforts of the two leads, especially Blunt, who really is here. I, I get the impression she's like, I'm here now. I'm going to have a stab at it. Mm. Um, and it never, but the story never believes in any, builds in any believable way, you know. Um, I, I was wondering if actually, you know, I'm still wondering, are you in on the act? Does the film exist at all? Is it some sort of elaborate prank carried out by friends of mine, you know? Um, uh, it's not deliberately that, crap, perhaps. Uh, it's trying to be a farce, I would say. It's trying to be a bit John Millington sing, mm. but the writing isn't there. It's not funny or spirited enough. Um, it's quite dead behind the eyes, this film. And then I thought, well, that was mad. And then the last scene happened and it went to a whole other level of craziness. Right. I won't reveal, but okay. you can find it easily on the internet. It's a, wait, what actually, the punchline of all the, this is. That review in The Guardian I quoted earlier on, they include that point. So, uh, And this is, I assume, the explanation as to why Jamie Dornan isn't interested in Emily Blunt. Exactly. Yeah. It's crazy. We won't spoil it for you then, because uh, you'll all want to sit through. How long is this film? This is an important piece of information. Um, it's 83,000 hours. No, it's just under two hours long. Oh, God. And it's there on your rental platforms for 15 euro. If you've ah, nothing better God's to do with your money. Sake. And uh, I think some people are going to find this an absolute howl. I, I, I was more incredulous at it and more, God, this is really bad. How can you make such a bad film with such good people? That was the astonishing thing to me. But I will say one thing. Mayo looks lovely. It does. Well, Mayo always looks lovely, uh, uh, yes. uh, but probably Mayo wasn't required to overact or deliver a rubbish uh, uh, script. Uh, uh, exactly. Uh, Mayo just uh, did what Mayo did. OK, well, there you have it. Uh, if you if you want to uh, waste 15 quid uh, seeing it. Uh, in the meantime, Dean, tell us about our first beer today. OK, so first beer is uh, interesting beer, New England IPA, and it's brewed with red potato called Hayes Potato Chips. Uh, 6.4% ABV. <laughs> Sounds uh, like Wild Mountain Time again. <laughs> <laughs> well, funny enough, this one has gone the other way. It's, it's kind of cool. It's a collaboration beer. And uh, what they've done is a team from the brewery went over to America, traveled around, uh, did about two and a half thousand miles over a number of days, visited a whole pile of breweries and did uh, collaboration brews with them. Uh, so this beer was originally brewed in 2018 in Buffalo, New York, and then ha the recipe has been brought back and brewed in Ireland. Huge explosion of fruit flavor in this. Um, pineapple, passion fruit, grapefruit, peach, mandarin, uh, lemon citrus, lemon zest. Uh, it's bounced out with a herbal character, kind of pine, mint, eucalyptus type of uh, uh, flavor. And then it seems like the uh, there's a lot of dry hop additions and also the potato uh, seems to give, be giving it a kind of a tannic quant uh, quality. So what you find is that huge amount of juiciness from the fruit and then that tannic quality kind of dries it out and balances it out uh, very nicely 
good luscious uh, mouthfeel in it. So that's the description of the beer from one of the 20 breweries that um, yes. the brewery is from. It's Luckill Brewery in Sligo. They have done a superb job on it, to be fair to them. Um, and uh, it, the collaboration was with Thin Man Brewery in uh, Buffalo in New York. Uh, so great beer, yeah, really enjoyable. Uh, the, somebody wants to know, Dean, is it possible to get any beers from Craftwork Brewery in, in New Zealand? Had some amazing Belgian-style beers in their brewery in uh, Umaro in New Zealand when I was there. Uh, now I'm I'm going to say that I don't know of any beers making it over from New Zealand at the moment, but there's a possibility that beers could be making it into the UK, and people bringing it over. Now that being said, anything that was coming into Ireland through the UK has fallen apart since Brexit. It has been a mm-hmm. disaster. Um, the uh, bureaucracy on getting stuff out of the UK has increased by about five times. Uh, one thing that's interesting going the other way: cream liqueur is going to the UK. Um, need to be inspected by a vet uh, because it's a product derived from an animal and alcohol. And because it's derived from an animal, it needs to be inspected by a vet before it will be let into the UK. There is some wild things going on with Brexit. And unfortunately, it kicks the other way that if those beers coming from New Zealand through the UK into Ireland, it's likely that they've been stymied. I don't know of them uh, being in Ireland at the moment, but uh, just cautious because there are more and more people bringing in small quantities of beer on occasion. Has Dean tried Whiplash beers? They've started selling them in my local offie. Uh, they're sensational. They do a great job. Yeah, very creative uh, brewery. They do a wide range of different beers, pale ales and also kind of uh, strong stouts, uh, pastry stouts. Um, they're doing a fakey cake maker, which is a, a lovely beer. They, they do do a great range of beers. Yeah, lovely. Uh, can you ask Beer Man where I can get Tuhees or VB? I used to work in Malloy's many years ago. We used to sell it by the pallet load. I don't think they do anymore, says Bart. Yeah, um, again, same thing. These Antipodean beers have kind of uh, slid a little bit by the wayside. Uh, Tuhees New, Tuhees Dry and Victoria Bitter were all coming in, um, but I don't believe they are at the moment. Victoria Bitter is very uh, large beer in in uh, australia i think about 15 16 percent of the market and it seems to really split the market people either love it or hate it you know they uh, people who love uh, victoria bitter really love it and then there are people who are really cynical about it but again kind of disappeared off the the shelves in ireland just uh, i think that as the number of craft beers available locally has increased the beers coming from a very long way away have kind of slid away because uh, it's um, about three months to get beer from Australia and New Zealand into Ireland. Uh, so it's a bit of a challenge to get Crikey, crikey, yeah. And uh, Fanula, it's not, not the Irish who suffer from uh, being treated as stereotypes uh, in uh, in Hollywood. Lucy Liu has, had, uh, has written a piece about this, as I understand. Yeah, she wrote um, an opinion piece for the Washington Post, I think, in response to the like sharp rise in violence, obviously, against the Asian community with everything that's going on in the world. Um, and very, very good piece, if anyone's looking to read that over the weekend, it's in the Washington Post. Um, and she kind of spoke about how, even with her own work, she kind of talked about how she felt fortunate to have moved the needle um, with some of her mainstream success. Obviously, people don't know her from Charlie's Angels and everything else, but... She basically said there's still a lot further to go. She referenced a recent Teen Vogue piece that I hadn't read. Um, but she it basically was talking about how Hollywood cinema perpetuates Asian stereotypes um, and highlighted her character in Kill Bill. And in this piece, 
like the characters described as a dragon lady, cunning and deceitful, uses her sexuality as a powerful tool of manipulation. Um, and Lucy kind of rightly pointed out the fact that, like, why wasn't Uma Thurman, Vivica Fox, um, Daryl Hannah, why were they not dragon ladies? Um, she put it down to the fact that obviously she's Asian mm. um, and very insightful. She talked about how she wasn't able to play certain roles and the same with the actress anime Wang, who often lost out on important roles to white stars. Um, and it's, uh, she talks about like even when we think, like I think we like to think about how far we've come and whatever, but when you consider like Mickey Rooney and just the the stuff that he's done in terms of the yellow face and wearing this buck tooth prosthetic and stuff that was still like in recent memory mm. um so yeah a long way to go I think but then you've like obviously there's a lot of uh, progress we made with the likes of Korean cinema and we're seeing a lot of representation on TV but still a long way to go and I think that's just the point she's she's trying to make with this piece uh, indeed, a long way to go. Right, you are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Uh, we do have a hashtag, by the way. I haven't mentioned any of them so far, but the hashtag is reopening movies uh, for fairly obvious reasons. Uh, we're going to take a break. One more beer, one more movie to talk about after this. 53106 is our text number that will cost you 30 cents. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on uh, News Talk. Uh, Fanola, Esther, and Dean are still with us. Uh, we have been speaking about Wild Irish Time, which is pretty much what you expect it to be. John says this movie is a covert government strategy to get American tourists to Ireland. Uh, though Owen says people like this still exist. Look at Danny Healy Ray. Ah, now. Uh, Danny Healy Ray knows exactly what he's doing. Uh, so he is not a fool. The brother, on the other hand, that's where irony has gone to die. Uh, Angela says, I don't think I'm a particularly insensitive person, but halfway through Nomadland, it dawned on me, this is dull. I've read some excellent accounts of US nomads who live out of trailers or scratch their way from place to place, but this wasn't one. So subtle it almost disappeared. Uh, says Angela. Well, given that Angela brought it up, we might as well talk about uh, Nomadland and find out how insensitive or not Angela is. Here's a clip. I think I've met you before. Yeah, I'm Fern. You gave me a light back in Portsite. Mm-hmm. I have this for you. I want you to have it. What is that? What's that stone? That there is dinosaur bone. Really? Well, I think so, but I only know what they tell me. <laughs> Where are your mom and dad? Back home in Wisconsin. Got a girlfriend anywhere? Well, to be truthful, there's one. Mm-hmm. I write letters to her. Oh, smart man. I just can't ever write about anything I reckon she'd care about. You ever tried poems? Can't say I have. Do you know any? How about one that I used for my wedding vow? when I was not much older than you. Oh, right on. Okay, that's uh, uh, Nomadland. This is uh, based on, on, on a work of journalism, Esther. It is. It's based on a, a, a work of fact, actually, and it's really interesting. Remember we were talking about, was it Minari recently or Sound of Metal? And mm. I said there seems to be a whole trend in filmmaking at the moment of almost being in the moment and and the films almost seem to even though they're all works of fiction almost seem to step into documentary territory sometimes i think this is the the most obvious example of this chloe zhao's style is to work like this she did it with the rider um which was a western among a group of underprivileged um people in one community but a work of fiction a story that she told but a lot of the real life characters fed in to 
that story. So it's really interesting what she's doing, I think. I'm not sure everyone would get away with doing it, um, but she is such a great filmmaker that she does. And I think what she's doing here again is she has um, Frances McDormand, Peerless in my view, and also, though not talked about enough here, the great David Strathairn um, in a, a supporting role, but pretty much all of the rest of the cast are real life nomads um, who live their lives on the roads for various reasons, you mm. know, s- s- some by their doing, some not by their doing. And I think what what it does as a film is it really fleshes out the story. Um, you feel like the experience, you feel the experience of these people. And, you know, to your texture, it's a fair point. It is a slow film. It's a slow, deliberately paced film, um, but it's a stunning Western. Like it's one of the most beautiful looking films I've seen as well. And it's about all the big stuff told in small ways, Sean. That's what I loved about it. It's just a film packed with little moments. Mm. Um, and there's one early scene um, where Frances McDormand's Fern is back in her former hometown and she runs into a concerned young friend, teenager she meets in the supermarket. It turns out she used to be a teacher. Um, and she says, are you homeless? Is it true you're homeless? And she and Francis says, I'm not homeless. I'm houseless. It's different, right? Um, but it's not all that different because mm. she's lost a lot, I suppose, in, in along the way. Um, she was so she's in her 60s. And Francis McDormand's letting herself look old here. And vulnerable, and I loved it. And I, I'm not going to lie and say this is crazy, but I kept thinking of marriage because she's a little bit quirky, and I kept <laughs> thinking of marriage years later. And poor Norm, who made all her eggs, has died, and he- here she is now out struggling in the world. I, I, it just really connected to me, and I suppose it's just what a great actor she is to make you have those kind of crazy brain bubbles. Mm. Um, but she has she kind of stayed in she was in a town called Empire in Nevada. So there's a lot of socialism going on here as well. And looking at America, the American dream and how it's failed a lot of people. Um, um, not socialism, social or sociology, make sociology. Yeah, I'll take that. Mm. And um, so she's based in the town of Empire in Nevada. And one really moving passage towards the end, she says she didn't want to stay there when her husband Bo died, um, but that she felt it's really moving, actually. She felt he was so loved in the town that she wanted to keep his memory alive through staying in the town. Um, and that's be a beautiful piece of writing in a scene late in the film. And um, But then the mine closes and the whole structure of the town is gone. Her house is foreclosed. Um, they've no kids. And suddenly she sees, you know, she sees both a, a tragedy and an opportunity that she doesn't have enough mon- money to sustain herself. But she also has nothing to tie her down. Mm. So she buys um, this rundown camper van and takes to the road, I suppose, like thousands of other people in the States um, do in the US through choice or circumstance. And I think by casting lots of real nomads and, and letting their stories feed into the narrative in this film, it really makes you feel so real, you know. And I think it's really poignant in that it focuses on people who are nearly at retirement age. So, you know, white American people who had a house and a life and a job uh, and family, but are now really struggling and are nowhere near equipped for retirement um, financially and are obliged to grab odd jobs wherever they can. You know, she goes into a job centre at one stage and says, I want to work. I like to work, you know, after they said, you know, maybe you can consider early retirement because there's nothing there. 
Mm. But what is also really special about this is the sense of community. Like there, there is a beautiful line where he, she talks to um, someone who's become quite a friend and um, says, I, I, he says, I, I never say goodbye. I say, I'll see you down the road. And we always do. So it's people kind of drifting out of each other's lives like that. Um, and it's just beautiful. Then, I, you know, it is a little bit meandery around the halfway mark. I kind of went, oh, how is this going to work now? And it does work. It doesn't shoehorn in a romance, but she does meet someone very special. Um, a guy called Dave, who's played by David Strathairn. Um, he's looking for new way of life and someone to share it with. They get on really well, but he's kind of done being on the road. So I think then Fern has to really evaluate. And you do wonder... Is she mentally vulnerable and stuff like that at certain mm. points of the film as well? Um, in a really interesting way. And and she you do she has to reevaluate, I suppose, whether she's running away from her life by being on the road or whether being on the road is what's for her. So I adored this. I if I see a better film this year, I'll be very happy. It's a mood piece, it's beautifully made. She's a very exciting filmmaker. Um, and I can't wait to see what she's gonna do next because she's doing a marvel. Yes, she absolutely is. All of which begs the question, though, Esther, and a few people already have texted in uh, about this. Um, uh, Frances McDormand, Meryl Streep, they both have three Oscars each now. Who's the winner? Oh, God, Frances McDormand to me. I'm just a total fangirl, though. I love I love her and everything she does. You know, I just adore her. No disrespect to Meryl, who I'm sure is like crying in the rain now, my voicing my opinion. (laughs) Uh, actually Fanula, I'll bring you in on this would you have an opinion on on, um, uh, Francis versus uh, Meryl I probably would have been a Meryl stan before I saw Francis in three billboards and then I think it kind of pipped it for me I haven't seen Nomadland yet I'm gonna make time for it this weekend and Wild Mountain Time because I love Misery clearly Um, but (laughs) yeah like Francis you just she's just such a presence on screen and so strong in a way that I think just, just edges Meryl out, in my opinion. Right. Okay. And this movie, Esther, is it's on Disney now. Is it one of those jobbies where you have to have a Disney nope. subscription and then they charge you even more for it? Nope. It's on Disney Plus, And if you have an account, there it is for Boom. free. Okay. From to watch tonight. A no brainer. All right. Fantastic. Right. So, Dean, tell us about our second beer of the day. Okay, so we've got an oatmeal IPA made with organic oats from Kilbegan. And now the, the really cool thing about this beer, that it has all of the tropical fruit and citrus character that you expect from an IPA. It really just explodes uh, in those types of flavors, but the balancing flavors are where it really comes into its own. Got beautiful creamy vanilla and a luscious mouthfeel on it. It's, uh, the oats give a kind of a creaminess to, to beer. And then also a kind of a spice herbal balancing character, white pepper and nettles, coriander coming through. Uh, it's called uh, Maroons. This one is Esther's pick of, uh, from the, the list of beers that were, were passed on. Uh, so I think Esther was uh, feeling the effects of lockdown and saw Marooned and said, yes, I can relate <laughs> to that big time. <laughs> so, thing. But they have done a great job. This one is from Dead Center Brewing. And again, talking about this idea of craft beer community, um, one of the things that's lovely in the States, if you talk to an American craft brewer and ask him what, what beers he likes, 
usually the answer will be, well, I assume you're not asking about my beers, and they'll start naming beers from a whole pile of other breweries that people would think that they're competing with, but the attitude is we're all part of one community and we're all just kind of putting out good beer. Uh, guys in Dead Centre, they've um, a six hexliter brew house in Athlone, uh, but this beer is brewed uh, under contract by 12 Acres Brewing in County Leash. Uh, so two guys working together. So kind of similar to the collaboration brewery where you've got uh, um, two breweries across continents working together. These are two um, breweries within the country uh, working together uh, to make things work. Just to mention that the beer that I mentioned uh, earlier on, the 12% Imperial Stout, uh, that one is called Around the Clock. And it's a special brew by the Porterhouse, seven malts, seven hops. Uh, boiled for 24 hours to uh, bring it up to 12% ABV and then aged for 365 days in sherry and bourbon casks. Crikey. And they've done, yeah, they've done a really good job and it's absolutely beautiful beer. Uh, and the way that it's working for Indie Beer Week... Um, uh, beercloud.ie and uh, at Indie Beer Week uh, they are uh, putting out kits of beer so you buy your kit of beer either six beers for Thursday uh, ten beers for Friday or ten beers for Saturday on the um, uh, I get the dates right I think I'm going to make a mistake if I don't check it uh, the uh, 19th, 20th and 21st of uh, May so uh, ordering the beers uh, up before the 16th and then they're shipped out and then they're doing online tastings with the brewers involved explaining what's behind the beers and uh, everybody uh, just kind of getting to taste a whole range of beers that maybe they haven't had the chance if, if it's not in their local off license to taste okay. and there's uh, as yeah as Dean said there's, uh, there's a gazillion of them uh, there David in West Clare just on Nomadland says I can't understand how a movie about camper vans is doing so well uh, they should have come to Ballybunion in the summer and let the cameras roll away that have got the same footage uh, that's that's maybe a next movie uh, David that would be uh, that would be very an, an intriguing prospect and Fanula, you were telling us about how you know pr- production in Hollywood at least is is coming back a bit uh, w- which was uh, good to hear but they're there's they're kind of hoping that maybe uh, more people will be vaccinated a bit like here uh, by the end of June yeah so it's looking like the COVID safety protocols are happening until june 30th and but they're looking like los angeles is going to move into like their least restrictive tier or zone which will allow for 75 percent capacity at like concerts and sporting events and everything else and but as you said as well there there's some of the protocols it seems like they're not going to require those working on these productions to be fully vaccinated Um, and i think they're going to leave it up to kind of the employees to handle how that works um, in terms of some of the other companies heading back, it's looking like Sony is planning a phased return um, in June. And then Disney is also looking to bring back their staffers from their work from home uh, starting in July. So definitely moving in the right direction, slowly but surely, probably the same as here. So hopefully we can start seeing these raft of movies and TV shows come with it because I need I need new things to watch. I hope there's not movies about the bloody pandemic. Oh, I don't, I don't know if anybody would want to it's, see that. This is a thing and I'm finding it very difficult with reality TV shows because they're covering that a lot. And I mean, I'm living the reality. I don't want to see like rich, happy people pretending they're suffering as well. Like, no, thank you. No bueno. I'm the same as you. No pandemic stories, please. Hopefully yeah. Michael Bay is listening and taking notes frantically. But yeah, please. No, no, yeah. no, no, no. No pandemic stories. <laughs> Big explosions during the pandemic. You're not really going to watch uh, Wild Irish Time, are you? Oh, I fully, fully am. And like, I'm I'm worried because Esther didn't even seem to like ironically enjoy it. But <laughs> I don't know. I need to, I need to, 
I need to see this. Like, it's just, it's mad. It's too mad not to watch, I think. Okay, well, we'll, f- we'll ask you next week whether uh, whether you, you should have done that or maybe bought yourself a nice pair of socks. Uh, in the I meantime, uh, Fanula, thanks very much. That was Fanula Jones, S. McCarthy and uh, Dean McGuinness there. That's our lot uh, for today and indeed uh, for this week. Uh, we have a best of on Monday that we will be back uh, with a live show on Tuesday. Uh, Kieran's up next on News Talk with the Hard Shoulder. Our production team today, Aidan McKelvey, Michael Quilligan and Claire Collins. Have a lovely bank holiday weekend. Movies and Booze on Moncrief Brought to you by Lidl's award-winning wine range Lidl, more for you Enjoy alcohol sensibly Visit drinkaware.ie Pick up your phone while driving and you might need to be picked up from work Break the speed limit and you could be breaking plans with your mates Leave L or N plates off your car and you could be left getting taxis for the next six months So ask yourself Is it really worth it? Seven penalty points over three years will disqualify learner and novice drivers for six months. Steer clear of points and stay on the road. A message from the Road Safety Authority.